Come on in and make our way to our seats. We've got a lot to get, lot to get to today, uh, partly because we had to kind of put things off uh, last week because of the snowstorm, and and I, I do. Um, bother. Hold on. We. I do. Uh, I do apologize. I mean, I, I don't know. You have to make decisions when you have to make decisions. You know, you don't get to. Say, I, sometimes you don't get to delay. And so last week I was driving to church, and on my way to church, I realized that the roads were just in terrible shape. And I think it was because it was on a holiday that they hadn't plowed them yet. And I was thinking about the folks who were over in North Ogden. And um, apparently, you weren't coming even if you wanted to because a truck had gotten sideways at the top and had blocked both lanes. And so. Um, whether I wanted to make that call or not was irrelevant, um, <laughs> unless you wanted to go around. Um, and so uh, I hope that was nobody's truck here. Um, and uh, But um, let's see here. Um, and so I wasn't sure how many we would have, and so I just went ahead and called an audible on what I'd be teaching as well, and we kind of moved everything back. Uh, most of the time here at Fellowship, that doesn't really matter, but sometimes it does, and I have upset a delicate balance of teaching and schedule and business meetings and all that other stuff. So we're going to have to move things around a little bit, and um, I'm just that's why we're going to be tackling the teaching that we're going to be tackling today. Okay, so why don't you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter six, Acts chapter six. And today we're going to be talking about the office of deacon. Not this Sunday, but next Sunday, immediately after our, um, after our worship service, we're going to have a little business meeting where we nominate deacons, okay? Now, let me just run down very quickly how we do that at Fellowship, and that will sort of prepare you for the lessons we're going to have today. Now, in years past, I haven't made too much of the deacon nomination process. We cover that pretty quickly. But we do have a lot of newer folks to us. And because we have some folks that are newer to us, I thought it would be good, and actually our entire leadership team thought it would be good, to sort of step our church through again why we have the leaders that we have, why we call them, and then a little more practically what those leaders do, okay? What those leaders do. Now, we have two sets of leaders here at Fellowship Bible Church, elders and deacons, okay? You say, well, wait a minute. Why do we call you and Chris and Dom pastors? Why do we call you guys pastor? Well, a pastor is a subset of an elder, okay? And so uh, we're elders, um, but then there are some elders, and I, I suppose you could say that elders are also pastors as well, but there are some elders who are set aside vocationally, and traditionally we call those people pastors, though um, elders are also considered pastors or shepherds. We'll talk about that next week, because today we're talking about deacons, okay? Now, just to illustrate, oh, I said this is what I would do. Here's how we, here's how we nominate our deacons. Our deacons serve on a three-year rotation. Um, this year, um, Ben Mack has fulfilled his three years, and he's done a fantastic job and he'll be cycling off this year. And what we do is, I think there's a slide up here right now. We, after the service next week, we put up a slide 
that has all the male members of our church who are eligible to serve in the role of deacon. So, for example, my name is not on that list because I can't serve as both pastor and deacon, okay? Ben Mack isn't eligible to serve because he's rotating off, okay? So even if you nominated him, we wouldn't be able to ask him. Okay, so these are all of our male members um, uh, in good standing um, who are eligible to serve. Okay, so what we do is next week after the service is over, you just write down, you can write down one name or two names. You don't have to write down any names, okay? But those are the, and, and you nominate them. Okay, I would like to nominate so, uh, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so, okay? What we do is we do, we do something very simple. We tally the nominations as elders. Um, and then the one who is at the top of the list, if there's no, if there's no ma- issue or matter with that person, let's say, for example, there was a private health issue with, I- I'm not... I'm going to make one up here, okay? Let's say um, this is not the case. I'm making it up. Um, I'm not going to give a name. I'm not giving a name, okay? (laughs) I'm just not doing it. I'm not going to do this. Let's say we had a mythical person up there um, named Frank, okay? And, And Frank got almost unanimous nomination. But what the church doesn't know is that Frank's wife has just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And it's not out yet. Nobody's talking about it. They're keeping it under wraps because they haven't decided on a, a, di- a treatment path. Well, out of respect to Frank, we would go to Frank and we would say, hey, you know, you got a lot on your plate. Do you want to serve this time around? We would certainly respect it if you didn't. In fact, we might, dis- we might, not, we might discourage you from that given you really need to give attention to your wife. And Frank would say, yeah, no, I can't serve. So... That way, there's a sort of protection in the sense of private matters can stay private, okay? And so then if, if Frank, who was the top nominee, doesn't get, you know, can't do it or for whatever reason, then we go down to the second person on the list. And hey, great, he's qualified for sure, um, no, no issues. We say, hey, um, let's call this guy Jim. Hey, Jim, would you like to serve... Um, as a deacon, Jim says, yes, absolutely. Then what we do is we, we at our annual business meeting, we say, okay, everybody, Jim uh, was nominated. Uh, the elders have asked Jim to serve. And then fellowship gets one final vote of approval. Okay? And you say, yes or no, we would like Jim to serve as a deacon, or we feel that Jim is qualified to serve as a deacon. So not only do you get the opportunity to nominate, you get kind of a final stamp of approval on those deacons that are serving. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. Any questions about that process? Okay. Now, let's talk about, you say, okay, I got the process down. What exactly is a deacon? <laughs> well, that's where things get, can get a little confusing. I wrote down four popular ways of deaconing, okay? None of which we do here at Fellowship, okay? Um, let's talk about the Baptist way. Okay, now, briefly... The, this is not true of all Baptist churches, okay? But I would say this is true of probably the majority of Baptist churches, more than 60, 70% of Baptist churches. This is how they do it. Uh, Baptists, uh, Baptist deacons typically serve at, in the function that we would call elders, okay? They, 
um, oversee the church. In fact, in many Baptist churches, the pastor answers directly to the deacon board. Uh, the deacons control the financial, they serve as financial stewards, uh, the pastor reports. The deacons are the ones who do the pastoral search. They're the ones who do the hiring and firing for the staff or hiring and you know, letting go or whatever. And uh, deacons sort of serve in this role. They're essentially the executive board of the church. And in most Baptist churches, deacons serve in perpetuity. Once you're on the deacon board, you can stay on the deacon board for as long as you like. Okay? So I, I'd say that's the case for most Baptist churches. How many of you came from a Baptist church and that was sort of the model that you had? You had grown up. Okay, good. You can verify that. All right. Second, there's, there's Catholicism. Okay? And Catholicism, you have to be at least 35 to serve as a deacon. Um, you can be married, which is one of the things that distinguishes you from a priest. Um, let's see here. If you were an adult convert into Catholicism, you have to wait at least five years. Uh, you assist the priest in preparing the sacrament, doing benevolence, uh, in a, it's a big deal in Catholicism to witness marriages and wakes and baptisms and other such matters, and uh, deacons serve in that role, and they serve for a lifetime in that role in most cases. Okay? Then there's the Methodist way. In the Methodist denomination, deacons are actually paid clergy, okay? and the, these members of the paid clergy um, are assigned to churches by an area, superintend an area superintendent or a regional bishop, and they can be men or women, and they more serve in uh, benevolence-type ministries, caring for the poor. Um, they do teach. Uh, they teach catechism and so forth, and they're sort of the um, charity arm of the of most Methodist denominations, because not every denomination is the United Methodists or whatever. There's some variety among the Methodists, okay? Um, and in most cases, they're paid staff, just like um, I'm paid staff at Fellowship Bible Church, okay? And then there's, in our neck of the woods, the majority of the people living in Utah are LDS, and there's the LDS version of being a deacon. And uh, in the LDS church, you become a deacon at 12, uh, only boys. Uh, when you are baptized in the LDS church and you go through a certain uh, series of um, tests isn't the right word, you complete a series of projects, uh, you're given the title deacon, which they hold from 12 to 14, and during that time they uh, prepare the sacrament, which in the LDS church is bread and water, um, and they... Um, they can uh, also perform baptisms of children who are older, uh, younger than them, and so forth. It's sort of a first step of service in the LDS church. Okay? Okay. So, so you know, we don't do it like any of those, <laughs> just to make matters even more confusing. Okay? Um, I, I'm only bringing this up to illustrate that when it comes to church leadership, Deacons are used in a variety of ways. Um, it's probably the most disparate church office in church leadership. Make sense, everybody? Okay, so what do we try to do here at Fellowship Bible Church? Okay, well, I'm not 
I'm not trying to, I'm not, in saying this, I'm not trying to cast a negative light on any of the ones I've previously mentioned. Okay? But what, we're a Bible church, and so what our main goal is, is to go to the Bible and see what the Bible says. We're not so concerned about tradition. We're not so concerned about doing it the way that it's always been done. What we really want to do is look at the Bible and see what the Bible might say about it and try to pattern how our deacons would serve in that model. Okay, so I had you turn to Acts chapter 6. Now I'm going to work through this material very quickly. My goal here is not to do an exhaustive study, but just to hit the highlights and you can sort of, and then as I tell you how our deacons serve at Fellowship Bible Church, hopefully you'll see uh, the correspondence, okay? And I'm, we certainly here at Fellowship don't have a perfect system. Um, the Bible is not, uh, the Bible makes a lot of general statements, but it doesn't make a lot of specific applications, which is in part why there is so much variety among different denominations over how deacons serve, okay? So, our goal at the end of it is to be able to point back to the New Testament and say, okay, we do it this way because of this New Testament statement or principle or whatever. Okay? So in Acts chapter 6, the first church had just started. Things were going great uh, with a few notable bumpy exceptions. Then we, we, we come to a spot in Acts 6 where suddenly... There's, a, there's a, a, a negative mark on the church. Okay. It says here in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Now in these days the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose up against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let's stop right there and explain what's going on here. In the church in Jerusalem, there most of the people were Jewish in the first church. Their Jewish heritage, Jewish descent, they came out of the synagogues. Christianity very much was a Jewish religion. It was a subset of a Jewish religion. As the book of Acts goes, what you see is the scope widening. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 15, Acts has almost completely transitioned to where the Jewish people are getting pushed to the background, and suddenly Gentiles and the Gentile worship of Christ is rising up. There was a fair amount of racial animosity from Jewish people toward anybody else. Okay? Those roots ran fairly deep among Jewish people. And there was a point of pride among Jewish people that... If you were truly Jewish, you also did most of your communication in Hebrew. That was their language. That's the language of the Old Testament. There were, however, people who, Jewish people, who were either Gentiles and became Jews, or they were born and raised in a part of the world that didn't have any Hebrew spoken, and so they spoke Greek. They were Jews all the same, but Greek-speaking Jews. And these people were called Hellenists. Now, prior to Jesus coming into the world, there was a fair amount of animosity between these two groups. You can imagine 
why that would be. If I looked down, now, I, I don't know. Let's, let, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to draw your attention to uh, Marguerite and Noel over here. Okay, they're from Sri Lanka. Now, I don't know what language they speak in their home when nobody else is around, okay? My guess is they would probably speak their mother tongue. They might not, but that's what I would do if I were you guys. <laughs> but now they speak beautiful English, but you can imagine if they, were con they felt constantly criticized and judged because they didn't speak English. And you can imagine if, if, if they had several other family members who felt equally criticized and judged, and they would push back against us English speakers, which would make us a little angry, and then you can see how this push back and forth would create some hostilities. Okay? Well, all of those were present prior to Christ coming into the world. Okay? Well, when Christ came into the church and saved people, those old animosities, those old difficulties and racial strains and language strains didn't just go away immediately. And so there arose a complaint among Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. And they said, same as ever, old news, these Jewish people, Hebrew-speaking people, are neglecting our, the neediest, most vulnerable people in our culture, and it's simply because of language. Now, one thing that Luke does not do is Luke does not weigh in on the dispute. He does not say, actually, the Hellenists were being a little overly sensitive, their widows were actually just fine, and when the apostles investigated, it turns out there was nothing to it. Luke doesn't say that. Nor does Luke say, you know, the, the Hebrew-speaking people, they had a lesson to learn in race and ethics and so forth, and really that had to be settled out among themselves. Luke doesn't say that. He, he's only noting what the controversy was. He does not speak to the truth of it, to the validity of it. All he talks about is the conclusion that was drawn to solve it. Okay? Now, we read here, and the twelve, verse two, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word and serve tables. Now, let's stop there. Here, the church is at a fundamental crossroad, whether you know it or not, whether they knew it or not. Would Christianity be primarily a religion of charity, or would Christianity be primarily a religion of theology? And the apostles decided right here, Christianity is going to be a religion of theology. It'll be both. It'll be both. But one will serve the other. And they say, we need the charity to serve the theology rather than the other way around. Okay? So they say, we need, Jesus, Jesus commanded us, he commissioned us to be witnesses, to be teachers and proclaimers, to go to all the world and teach all nations. It would not be appropriate for us to abandon the commission of Jesus to attend to this matter. It was, a very, it was a valid matter. It wasn't something that needed to be addressed. They're not saying, and serving tables. It's not like that. They're not saying it that way. It's, it's this matter needs to have somebody else take charge. 
so that we can obey our commission. You know it's an important thing because of who they assign it to. Let's keep reading. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, uh, pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, commentators will point out that all of these are Greek names. Okay? Who were the ones offended in this process? Greek speakers. And so in the wisdom of the church, they appointed Greek-speaking people to oversee it. Okay? There's a lesson in that, isn't there? Like, okay, let's, let's undercut the accusation by putting up people that are already, that are putting up people who would be beyond accusation. Okay? If the accusation is that Greek speakers are getting neglected, let's put Greek speakers in charge. Therefore, we'll be free of the charge that we've been racially motivated. Okay? Now, so it says Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch. Just so you know, do you think there were more than seven qualified men in the entire church of Jerusalem? There was an eighth. There was an eighth. He didn't get chosen. It happens. It happens. Sometimes people don't get chosen, even though they're perfectly qualified. Okay. Part of that is God's grace. I remember as a, a young man, I was going through seminary, gaining an education. Um, I was at a, a, a larger church, and, you know, it was very, it, I felt the Lord was calling me to preach, but because the church was so large and there were so many gifted people there, it was almost impossible to get an opportunity to preach. <laughs> it was a very deep bench at that church, you know? And, um, you know, I could have I gotten upset about that. Like, oh, I'm getting passed over. They're, they're judging me. They're telling me I'm not worthy or whatever. Or I could have just, or you know, the Lord gave me grace to see it as it was. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a condemnation of me or a statement on me. It was just the acknowledgement that there's a lot of qualified people and a lot of good ministry to go around. Okay? So just tuck that away. Okay? It says, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Note what Luke says here, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And this is an interesting little side note that Luke adds in there. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. Why do you think Luke adds that in there, considering this situation. Why do you think Luke adds that in there? Somebody tell me. It's just a coincidence that they got this situation figured out with the Hellenists and the Jews and suddenly a great many priests come? Was that coincidental? Or is this causal? Yes, Steve. 
Yeah, that's right. Okay, who else? What if I told you that priests were in charge of the Jewish daily distribution for widows? That's also a fact. What would it mean for a priest who for 40 years heard these complaints and try as he might would be accused of favoritism and saw the animosity and the bitterness among these people and then suddenly there's this group of people over here and they figure it out? What would that say? John says it this way, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And the decision they made with these deacons was so commendable and demonstrated such love among themselves that the priests suddenly went, it wasn't the miracles, it wasn't the resurrection. Suddenly the priests went, oh, they figured out racism. <laughs> they figured out language differences. Maybe there's something to that. And a great many of them came to know the Lord. Isn't that cool? Okay. The way we handle our business can be evangelistic. That's, that's good. All right. Now, a few things here for fellowship. Um, deacons serve here to free the pastors to labor in prayer and the word. Okay, that's number one priority. Number two, just as in Acts chapter 6, the congregations selected their deacons, that's why we do the nominating process the way we do. We want you to select the deacons that will serve you. Okay? Um, like I said, there's a priority of teaching. The role of deacon is created to preserve the role of teaching. And here, there was a charity matter that needed to, to be taken care of, and so... Once it was taken care of, the apostles were free to obey their commission, the deacons served, and the church grew. Okay, when these ministries coalesce, things go very well. Okay. All right, now you say to yourself, okay, who should we be looking for to serve as deacon? Let's turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay. Now, I'm going to go over these qualifications here. I want everybody to know, I... I, I I, I'm of the opinion that we have several good people here at Fellowship who could serve in this role, okay? I don't think we've ever had more. Um, we, we have more than we've ever had. And so that's a wonderful position to be in, and I'm, I'm thrilled. And so what I don't want you to, I'm bringing that up because what I don't want you to hear is, oh, this is an impossibly high bar that nobody could ever attain to, okay? Um, we're not trying to nitpick with these qualifications, we're trying to observe the general tenor of a person's life to see if these things match, okay? Could, could we find a spot, for example, where, um, where a, a, a deacon said something on an offhanded comment that maybe wasn't the most dignified thing ever and afterward felt bad about it and apologized, okay? Of course, we can definitely imagine that happening. Does that disqualify them from the service of deacon? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay? So, so yeah. You know, 
um, we're looking at, a gen at general tenors not being nitpicky. Okay, so what are the qualifications? Number one, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons must likewise be dignified. That means honorable or respected, respectable. People around them, respect them, have high regard for them. Okay, They're not double-tongued. Uh, that idea means hypocritical or insincere. This is not a person who's two-faced. Okay? They don't say one thing to your face and then go behind your back and say another thing. Okay? These are not two-faced people. They're not putting on airs. Uh, they're not trying to drive wedges between people. Uh, not addicted to much wine. Um, does that mean they can be addicted to a little wine? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I think what this is saying is, so back, back then, Bible wine was not as strong as modern wine. They just didn't have the distilling practices. It was about, even at full strength, it was about half as powerful as modern wine is. And then they would cut it down even further, okay? So to get drunk, you had to drink a lot. <laughs> and that's what it's saying. This is not a man who, who gets drunk, okay? Who doesn't get drunk publicly, he, he's not addicted to drinking copious amounts of wine such that he gets drunk. I hope that makes sense. He's not greedy for dishonest gain. Um, I looked at the Greek of that this morning. It's a bit tricky. Um, essentially, it's a blanket statement of any and all unethical practices, uh, financial practices. Even financial practices that maybe aren't illegal, but you would say are unethical, um, Shady, no shady business practices. Uh, this guy, if he, if he owns his own business, it's all above board. Um, trustworthy, you would trust him with money. He's, 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 yeah, he's been trustworthy with his uh, financial practices, okay? Um, uh, he, he makes an honest living is the idea, okay? He's, he's making an honest living, honest, honest day's work. Okay, let's see here. It says that they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, this is, simply means a sincere believer, um, somebody who's not kind of back and forth uh, in their faith, somebody who has a, a testimony of, of fairly solid um, Christian conviction. Does that mean that a deacon can never, ever have a doubt about their faith? No, that's not what it's saying. Um, there are people, however, who are tossed to and fro by winds and waves of doctrine. Those are the people that Paul would say does not hold to the mystery with a clear conscience. Okay? Uh, it says here that they're to be tested. Let them be tested first. Commentators um, debate about what that means. Um, does that mean you give them, like, let's say we have a, a young man who's never served as a deacon, but is a, a really good young man. Again, I'm not going to use a name. Uh, let's say we have a young man named Jason, okay? He's a really nice guy, hasn't served as a deacon. So what we do is we give him a couple jobs and see what happens, okay? I, I think that's a very valid application. Or does it mean that Jason has had some life experiences that would commend his wisdom? I think that's also very possibly part of it. It could be either, it could be both. Um, but this is a person who's, who's um, who, who you know has whether it be kind of artificial things at church or by life, has proven themselves at least a time or two. Make sense? Okay. Again, I don't want to paint that with too broad of a brush, but there's somebody who's come through for you. Um, deacons, uh, they, their wives have 
uh, their wives have obligations as well. And a deacon's wife is to be dignified. Same uh, thing as her husband. Honorable, people respect her. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see here. Uh, not slanderers. Uh, she doesn't uh, gossip. She's not bashing people behind their back. She's not whispering things. Uh, she's not spreading false rumors. Um, she uh, uh, is serious-minded. That's the word of sober. Uh, when it comes, now does that mean uh, like uh, she doesn't she, she she doesn't have fun at bridal showers and there's a game and she's like <laughs> you know uh, no I don't think so um, it it just means that <laughs> when the chips are down you know you can trust her spiritual opinion she's got some spiritual depth to her okay um, not this artificial thing but just she has depth and that she is. Uh, faithful, faithful in all things. She's reliable. She's trustworthy. I recall as a as a youth pastor, I had a a, a, a couple of parents in my youth group, and uh, they they were always making suggestions. They were always sort of telling me what to do. And uh, one day, I gave them a job. I thought, well, they clearly want to be involved, and so I gave them this job, and they were going to have this thing that was supposed to be done. The day of came. And I was relying on them to get this ministry done, and I'll let you guess how much of it was done. Zero percent. <laughs> uh, they hadn't even started. And suddenly, I had to scramble. It was a terrible headache, terrible pain. It didn't go well. just because. And then I ended up with egg on my face, and when I was commiserating with one of my pastor friends about it, he said, yeah, you should have never trusted them. That, that's what they do all the time. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> Would have been nice to know on the front side. <laughs> but these are people who, who when they've, ladies, who when they've been given a task, they faithfully do it. They don't leave you in a lurch. Um, they've got, a, they've got a, a, a history of doing, doing what they said they would do. Okay? Um, then we go back to the husbands. Husband of one wife. In many churches, that we take that to mean that uh, divorce should not be a part of their past. Some churches take that to mean um, that they're monogamous, that whatever marriage they have right now, they're a one-woman man. I think that's probably a, the best understanding of the Greek, a one-woman man. Um, although whenever a church makes that stand on divorce, I certainly would uh, support them if that's a decision they've come to uh, as a church. We haven't confronted that yet as a church here. We've never had anybody who fits that bill, so we haven't crossed that bridge yet, if I'm being uh, perfectly honest. Um, let's see here. Uh, good and faithful moms and dads, they manage their house well. Uh, their personal finances are sound, and their children are parented well. Um, you know, their children aren't outside throwing snowballs with rocks in the middle at old ladies, Okay. Um, and if their parents found out that they were doing that, like, would that disqualify a, a man from being a deacon? No, but if the dad packed a rock and a snowball and chucked it back at his son, that probably would disqualify him. Okay? He, he deals with the problem when it comes to them, as does the mom. Okay? Um, good parents doing, doing their best, um, loving their kids, managing them, disciplining them, so forth. Now, Deacons at fellowship, so those, that's what we're looking for in deacons. And like I said, um, I think we've got many 
qualified men uh, here. Uh, We've never had more. In fact, um, there will be, no matter who we, we're only recommending we have, we, we, we vote in one deacon, and certainly there will be qualified people who aren't going to serve this time. And that's okay. Um, you know, maybe our church will grow numerically and we'll have more room and more ministry. For now, about the most ministry we can maintain is for another one more deacon. So that's not to say there's not enough ministry to go around. It just may not be done in an official capacity. I hope that makes sense. Okay. Um, how do deacons function here at Fellowship Bible Church? Okay. Well, um, what should we be looking for? Well, men who are qualified character-wise, men who are already participating in the things that they're supposed to preserve. Okay. You're, they're supposed to preserve teaching and prayer. Well, they need to be participating in teaching and prayer. Um, they're to be... Uh, uh, administrating the ancillary needs of the ministry so that the preaching and the praying can get done, are they already doing those things or at least willing to do when asked? Okay, That's a, a good way to, to put it. Um, let's see here. There are men who are already doing some of the things they've been called to do. They're being tested in that way. Okay. Um, what do deacons do here specifically? Well, um, first and foremost... Uh, Deacons have traditionally served here at Fellowship over the building and maintenance of our, of our yeah, of our building. Um, and those needs are going to grow pretty exponentially with the addition of a parsonage. Okay? We've got a building to maintain. All sorts of stuff has to go right. We live in a harsh weather environment. So this is important that our deacons be willing to uh, do that sort of building maintenance labor, but that doesn't mean they have to be Bob Vila, okay? Um, just a willing heart to get in and help. How many of you know, don't know who Bob Vila is? Oh, my. Uh, they don't have to be Mr. Home Depot, okay? How about that? Um, terrific. I'm getting, that, that is the surest sign that I am old, okay? That don't know who Bob Vila is. Okay, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, our deacons here at Fellowship have um, have essentially tackled budget, money counting. Uh, they come up with the annual budget every year. They uh, present it to the elders, and then we as a combined leadership team present it to the congregation. Uh, they do a lot of work. I love that, by the way. Uh, I would say at least once a month a visitor tries to give me money. Okay, And ha- have any of you ever tried to give me money? If you ever have, you know what I do? I go like this. I don't handle money. (laughs) Hand it to a deacon, okay? Uh, The deacons will take care of that. I love that I don't have to do an offering every Sunday, okay? We have a box, and then it's all taken care of. It's terrific, okay? Our deacons manage all the finances. They do all that. They do a great job. They got a big job in taking care of pastors and missionaries, and they're doing an excellent job at that, okay? And, And that just really frees us up to be able to minister and teach and pray and all that stuff. And I, I don't worry about the building. I don't worry about finances. It's, it's great. Um, let's see here. Um, they assist in counseling and discipleship. Um, sometimes I need a little assist in, in a counseling matter, um, and a deacon or a deacon's wife uh, will, will assist in that. If, say, for example, a lady wants to meet 
Um, I don't meet with ladies alone, and it just so happens that one of our deacon's wives lives close by, so I'll give her a call. We'll three of us meet together, and, and that's to help. They serve as sort of a, 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 an, an assist in that way, um, both deacons or deacon's wives. They have to be kind of aware of needs in the church, um, material, physical, things like that. If they find out that somebody is hurting, uh, they come straight to the elders, or I've even, we've even had some cases where they just take care of it themselves, and that's perfectly within their, um, perfectly within their rights. Um, also, they sort of serve as a first line of wisdom and direction and feedback for our elders. Okay, so our elders are going to decide on maybe a new initiative or a new path before we bring that more broadly to the congregation at one of our deacon and elder meetings. We bring that up to the deacons and see what they say. Um, now, um, I know we're running and the kids are up here already. If you have attended any of our deacons and elders meetings, you would know something. You would, you would know something very quickly. Um, our deacons are not yes men, okay? Uh, they very frequently um, are bringing new perspectives, new ideas, new thoughts, or... Uh, I wouldn't say critical is not the right word. Um, healthy evaluation of ideas, plans, and so forth. And by no means, if, if you've ever attended one of our meetings, by no means is there one person who's driving an agenda. Okay? It's very collective and very helpful, and the deacons are sort of a first line of defense for... Um, for those sorts of matters, kind of wisdom counsel matters. Okay. I had asked Daniel, we're, man, Daniel, we're right up against it. Would you have anything to add to what I just said? Okay, good. Um, and I was going to give a real-life example, but I got, I got long in the tooth. Okay. Any burning questions from anybody? I'll take one more minute. Hey, I didn't understand that. Okay, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me any pastor, any deacon, anybody who's on our leadership team, we'd be happy to answer any questions. We, um, many moons ago when I became the pastor here, you know, we, we have certain philosophies. And one of my philosophies is to be more open than not. Now, there's some things we can't be open about. But when we can be open and full disclosure, we will. Okay? And, and that's sort of how we want to operate. And so if you have any questions at all, we're happy to answer those questions for you. Okay? All right, I'll pray super quick, and we'll let the kids come in before they climb the walls. Um, they actually might literally do that, so I'll pray fast. Um, Father, thank you for our time. Uh, pray that you would give us wisdom and discretion as we select a new deacon for this year, and I pray that you might grow our church even more numerically so that we can have even more of these wonderfully qualified men serve and grow as a result. Uh, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.